0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really, really good to see you. Good to have you here this morning. As we continue in a series we started a few weeks ago now that we've been calling Creatures of Habit. And I just want to tell you that this morning uh, we have a uh, we're just in for a treat. We have a special guest that's going to be coming uh, to share the message with us this morning. If you're a guest with us here at Grace, you might not know this, uh, but Grace Church is actually a multi-campus movement. And so we have four campuses right now um, in a a total of five different locations around the greater Akron area. And so we have a Norton campus, which is actually our first campus. Uh, We have a Bath campus, which is just down the road. Uh, You are currently sitting in the Medina East campus of Grace Church. This is the third campus of Grace Church. And then we have a fourth campus, our newest campus, which just started this past Easter, um, is our Barberton campus. And uh, and so today, we have the uh, unique privilege of being able to hear from Pastor Jeff Martell. Uh, He is the campus pastor down at Barberton. And uh, I think you guys are going to really, really just appreciate what he has to share. Jeff, just to tell you a little bit about him, he is a great friend, phenomenal, phenomenal man of God. Uh, He was part of the Norton campus and then uh, was able to launch out the Barberton campus, like I said, on Easter of this past year. He is an incredible teacher of the the word, of the Bible. And I think you guys are uh, really in for a treat as he comes and shares with us uh, the message this morning. So would you guys join me in giving a warm Medina East welcome to Pastor Jeff Martell.
1: Well, good morning. It is so fun for me to be with you guys this morning. It's a privilege for me, so thank you for welcoming me. Uh, Yeah, so we've uh, been at the Barberton campus for, I think we're about nine months old now. And it's so cool to come here and see, so you guys are like two and a half-ish years down the road, something like that. And so it's so cool to see what God has been doing. You know, one of the cool things in scripture, it says that that God promises to plant his church, to grow his church, right? God grows the church. Sometimes we think maybe we grow the church. God grows the church. And to come here and see how he's been growing you guys so faithfully, it's powerful. It's really encouraging to me. So it's humbling to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And you know this, but you guys have an incredible staff here. Like the Medina staff is amazing, especially your pastors are amazing people. I had a chance to spend time with, with both Tony and Seth uh, quite, quite a few times. Every Monday I meet with Tony and the other campus pastors, and every Monday Tony makes me laugh. Just hilarious dude, right? Uh, Seth, I've had the privilege of being able to go on a couple trips to Texas with. You learn a lot about a guy when you can go on a trip to Texas with him. Uh, Seth is always happy. He's always in a good mood. He's super smart. There's only one time that I saw him not happy. It's when we got to Texas and he realized that he forgot his hairspray. You know, like you don't look that good just waking up out of bed in the morning, do you? No. So once we made a special trip out to get him some hairspray, he was in a much better mood after that. Herbal essences, is that? Aquanet, Aquanet, yes, yes. Anyway, it's, uh, it's really cool to be with you guys. So, so all of our campuses have been doing this series on habits, right? Like We all have habits in our lives, and, and maybe specifically we're talking about the spiritual habits in our lives, spiritual disciplines. And so we've said that we're creatures of habit, each of us. And we thought, you know, as we start this new year, maybe it's wise for us to to talk about the habits in our lives. You know, a lot of us do New Year's resolutions, right? Like some people are like, this is a great time. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to, you know, gym memberships are through the roof, right? Uh, Some people hate New Year's resolutions, and that's totally cool. I get that. But regardless, it's the beginning of the year is a good time for us to kind of take a step back and say, what am I doing in my life? Like, what are my habits, and are they leading me to good things, or are they leading me to bad things? So kind of what we've said throughout the series, in a nutshell, we've said that what we do, little by little, determines the direction of our lives, right? So all of the choices that I make, little by little, determines where my life leads me, kind of the accumulation of my choices. And we looked at this uh, passage. Pastor Tony opened actually all of our series uh, in Galatians chapter 6. And I just want to remind you of what this passage says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here's a truth. Don't be deceived, you reap what you sow, right? If you sow seeds of selfishness and sin, life's going to be a mess, right? If we sow seeds that honor God, life's going to be full, life's going to be abundant, life's going to be awesome, and it's going to lead us to the eternal life that every single one of us wants. This is truth. We said this is truth. This is reality. This is how God designed it. Whether we believe it or not, whether we accept it or not, it's still true, right? This is, this is just how things happen. And so he said, if this is true, then we should be really careful about what we're doing, right? We should be really careful about the habits in our lives. And so to take a step back and say, what are my habits leading me toward? Are my habits leading me toward destruction? Or are my habits leading me toward eternal life, abundant life? So, last week, Pastor Tony, I think Pastor Tony talked to you about the habit of a Sabbath, right? The habit of rest. Tonight, I want to lead us in a conversation about the habit of fellowship. And I want to do it by looking at a passage in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I'll have you turn there in just a second. In this passage, I want to say this. This is a passage, I don't know, I probably, I probably read this, I don't think it's exaggerating to say, two dozen times in my life. But this week, as I was preparing, things hit me a little differently than they ever have and there's things it's amazing to me like you can read things so many times and it's like God just exposes nuance to it that maybe you never grabbed before that's and that's what I saw this week and so I'm excited to share with you some of this nuance that has direct application for us as we talk about fellowship and relationships. So if you've got a Bible, if you want to flip there, flip it open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start off in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some right in front of you there in the chair backs. It's page 700 in the church Bibles. And as you're flipping there, let me say this. I was reading this book uh, the last couple weeks by a guy named John Ortberg. Maybe some of you have heard of him. But it's a great book, great title of a book. Here's the title of the book. Everyone's normal till you get to know them. Like, I love that. This is true, right? Like, once you get to know us, we're all kind of weirdos, right? So, anyway, I was reading this book, and he had a very interesting take on this passage in Mark chapter 2 that we're going to look at. I want to share with you here in a second. So, we'll read the passage here in a second. But before we do, I want to say this every time I've looked at this passage, like every time that I've read this passage before this past week, I've always focused on Jesus and what Jesus did and who Jesus is, and rightly so. Uh, You'll see this in a minute, but Jesus is like the center of this passage. He's like the foreground of this passage. What he does is he miraculously heals this guy. Again, we'll look at it here in a second. But he miraculously heals this guy twice in two different ways. He heals him spiritually, and then he also heals him physically. So Jesus is like the big emphasis of this passage. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's able to pronounce spiritual healing for us And he's able to bestow physical healing for us. In this passage, you'll see it's amazing. Simultaneously, he shows this incredible compassion and grace to this guy while also displaying his power and his authority. But you know what I never spent time thinking about in this passage? The other guys. There's other guys in this passage besides Jesus and the guy that he heals. So I want to read this to you. Here in a second. I want to read this together. And as I do, don't miss Jesus. okay? Don't miss what Jesus does and who he presents himself to be. But as you focus on Jesus, don't miss the other guys as well. okay? So here we go. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Incredible story, right? Clearly, the focus of this story is on Jesus and what he does for this man, right? simultaneously showing his compassion, his incredible compassion and grace, and also his power and his authority. They're in the foreground of this. We can't miss that. We're going to talk about that in a second. But they're in the foreground of this. But did you see what was happening in the background of it? Who was in the background? So you you got some teachers of the law. They're, They're kind of the knuckleheads in the story, right? Like in the Bible, most of the time, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're the ones who miss it. Jesus doesn't fit into their paradigm, and so they reject him. He doesn't fit into what they're looking for, and so they mock him. They try to trip him up, and eventually these are the guys that lead the way in killing him. They don't seem to be so much interested in discovering the truth about Jesus and following God as much as they're interested in doing and pursuing what fits into their preferences and what fits into their lifestyle. And it's easy for me to kind of step back and go, man, what is up with these dudes? These guys are crazy. How could they not recognize who Jesus was? But, you know, we do this all the time, too. Like, we do this all the time. We like to think that we're people who make decisions based on truth and what's right and logic and reason. But many times, if truth and logic and reason doesn't fit into what we want or what we're trying to build in our lives, we reject it, too, right? So if we're not careful, we can be very much like these knuckleheads, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? Right? So these guys are in the background. I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the other guys. You also have this guy's friends, right? And these are the guys that I want to focus on because he's, this is what struck my heart so hard this week and caused me to see this passage in a way that I would not seen before. So back, like, imagine kind of what's going on here. Back in these ancient times, in this culture back then, to be paralyzed like this man was, would have been especially challenging. It would have been incredibly difficult. My my wife is an occupational therapist, and she works at a nursing home. She used to work at a rehab facility. There were no nursing homes back then. There's no rehab facilities. There's no assisted living facilities back then. There's no surgeries that they could do on this guy to make life a little bit better. In fact, Many times, especially among the ancient Greeks, babies that were born with a, a physical abnormality, a physical uh, deformity, you know what they did to them? They killed them immediately. They thought that they were worthless. They were, they were useless to society. With, with ancient Hebrews, when they would see somebody like that, if they had a physical defect, a physical abnormality, they just assumed that it was a result of sin in their life. Either their sin or the sin of their family. This guy, boy, life would have been so hard for him. He would have been relegated to being a beggar, more than likely. He would have been relegated to being a beggar, just depending on everybody else to meet the needs that he had. His life, almost almost in its entirety, his life would have been lived on a little three-foot by six-foot mat, just sitting there, waiting on everybody else to meet his needs, to help him and for that paralyzed man that mat would have been a symbol of everything in his life that's wrong everything that's ugly everything that's terrible but somehow some way for some reason whatever reason this guy got deeply connected with these four other men right and they love this guy they love this guy for who knows what reason these four men were totally committed to him Totally committed to him. so, like, there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot of details to this story that we don't know. know, I, I wish we did. So we've got to use our imagination a little bit and kind of try to think about who these men were and how they got together. More than likely, more than likely, these are the guys that carried him around when he needed to go places, right? These are the guys that cleaned him when he soiled himself. These are the guys that would have helped him with that. These are the guys that probably would have fed him or at least gotten him food to eat. These are the guys that would have spent significant time with him, helping him, whatever he needs help with, encouraging him. And they heard that Jesus had come into town. And they heard that Jesus does miracles. Who knows how? Who cares how? Maybe he could actually help their buddy. Maybe he could do a miracle for this guy that they so dearly love. And you wonder what that conversation would have been like. You know, like when they tell, when they tell their paralyzed friend, man, Jesus is in town. You wonder what that would have been like? Dude, I heard that Jesus has come into town. He's at a house right now. He might be able to heal you. Man, I'm paralyzed. How are you gonna how, how are you gonna heal paralyzed? I don't know, man, but like what do you got to lose? He, you could walk again. I don't want you guys to have to carry me all the way across town and just to be disappointed and then have to carry me all the way back. Yeah, but man, what if? Like, what, what if you could walk? Can you imagine? Like that's it, we're going. Decision made, right? And somehow they convince him to let them carry him to the house that Jesus was at to maybe get healed, right? To maybe heal him. And this paralyzed man, think about this this paralyzed man allows them to carry him on his mat, this very real symbol for him of everything that was wrong and ugly and terrible in his life. This paralyzed man allows his friends into his weaknesses, and he allows them to carry his burden, right? And I think about that. I think, man, that, like, I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of an independent person. You know, like I like my independence. I like my freedom. I want to go and get things done, right? Can you imagine how hard that would have been for him to depend on these guys, inconveniencing these guys. How do you do, like, think about your own life. How do you do at letting other people into your weaknesses? This paralyzed guy, he, let, he didn't have a choice. Maybe he did. And he let them in, right? He allowed them to carry him on his mat. How do we do at allowing people into our weaknesses? How do we do at allowing other people to carry our mats or to help us carry our mats for us, our burdens for us. How do I do at that? How do you think it felt to everyone when they got to that house and it was like so full that it's overflowing with people? Like imagine how deflating that would have been for this guy especially. Like you can imagine they're carrying in there. Probably at some point he starts to get excited like, man, I don't know, maybe, maybe this could happen. Maybe, maybe I could actually get healed. Like imagine how deflating it would be when they get to the house and it's so full. I how that would break his heart. And then what would it have been like when one of the guys stands up and goes, Boys, I got a solution. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to climb up to the roof of the house. We're going to dig a hole through there. And we're going to lower our buddy down through ropes. Like, I just love that, you know. Like, I love guys like that. We're going to get it done. We are going to find a solution for this, right. Climb up. we get it done. And that's exactly what they do. They take him up the side of the house. They get to the roof. They dig a hole in, and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. Now, houses back then were different, okay? Like it sounds, it's, it's dramatic, but maybe not quite as dramatic as what we might think. So they, they weren't like scaling the side of the house like Spider-Man it's not with a guy in the back. It's not what they're doing. Don't get that image in your mind. Right? Most of the houses back then had stairs on the outside of the house that led up to the roof. And so more than likely, they were able to go up the stairs to the roof. And then the roofs were different than roofs of our day as well. There's no shingles and plywood on there that they had to like cut through with the saw. It was made of branches, brush, dried mud, tiles. Some of them had tiles. Not all of them did. This one did. So what they would have done is they would have pulled back the tile. right? They would have dug through to get a hole. And they would have lowered him through. Still amazing, right? And then we, talk, we talked about this in Barberton last night. Some people were like, man, can you imagine if you were the guy that owned that house? How ticked off that you would be that they Well, repairing it, apparently, I've never done this. But apparently repairing it wasn't quite as a big deal as what we might think today as well. But nonetheless, it was no small task that these guys did. And so these friends, they take risk carry this guy up the stairs on the side of the house they get up to the roof and they start digging through not knowing how Jesus would react not knowing how Jesus would respond now I don't know if you caught it it's it's really easy to miss I don't know if you caught it when I was reading the passage but it says as their friends lowered their their buddy down uh, right in front of Jesus it says that when Jesus saw their faith Right? In a most natural reading of that text, the there is referring to the friends. It's actually not referring to the paralyzed guy. Interesting, right? So as Jesus saw the faith of the friends, what does he do? He meets this paralyzed guy's greatest need. He heals him spiritually, right? He says, son, your sins are forgiven, which everyone knows is something that only God can do, right? Only God can forgive sins. This man comes for his physical needs to be met, but Jesus takes a step back, and he knows that his greatest need is not a physical need. His greatest need is a spiritual need, and it makes me think, like, how many times we could do that, too? I don't know if I can do that. Like, so many times we could think that our, our immediate physical needs are the greatest needs that we have, but in God's economy, our greatest needs are always spiritual needs, right? Like, one day, this is all going to be gone. Everything that we're experiencing here is all going to be gone, right? Our spiritual needs are our greatest. And so Jesus knows that. And so that's where he starts. Now, when Jesus begins to perceive, I don't know how, but Jesus perceives that the teachers of the law, they're getting ticked off at him. Like, it's blasphemy, right? And so what does he do? He heals Him physically too, right? He says, here's what I want you to do. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And it says, everybody is absolutely amazed, who does that? He was paralyzed. And now he's standing up, and he's carrying his mat. He was carried here, but he walks home. Now, when I think about that, incredible story, right? When I think about that, there's some things that, like, immediately jump out of, at, off the page at me. Like, as, I, as, I, as, I, as I have been praying about it, and, think, and this is, again, with Scripture, like, we're not just reading to read, Right? But we're reading and then we're thinking about, what does this look like in my life? How do I apply this to my situation? As I read that, there's things that just jump off the page to me. The first thing, first thing that jumps out to me, Jesus is awesome. (laughs) Like, like he's just, he's awesome. Like, I read that and I think, man, I love him. No no teacher likes to be interrupted, right? Especially, Especially when you're preaching, when you're in front of a group of people, right? No one likes to be interrupted. Jesus is interrupted in like the most ridiculous way that any teacher has ever been interrupted, right? I mean, imagine what that would have been like. He's sitting there teaching, and all of a sudden he hears stirring on the roof, right? He's like looking up. And then dirt would have started falling on his head. They lowered him down right in front of him. And then they do that. They lower him down. How does Jesus respond when he's interrupted in like the most ridiculous way? They lower this guy down right in front of him. What does he do? Jesus loves them just he just loves them like his compassion and his mercy and his grace are amazing and so he 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 looks at these friends and the links that they would go to to help their buddy and he says I'm going to meet your need greatest need I just love that as an aside I don't know where you're at as you sit here this morning but he offers that same thing to us no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has been like, if you go to Jesus the way this paralyzed man was brought to the feet of Jesus, he'll respond to you with that same compassion. He'll respond to you with that same grace. He's not angry. He wants us. He wants to have a relationship with us. So the first thing jumps out to me when I read that, I, mean, I love Jesus. I love him, you know? second thing that jumps out to me is, This guy's friends are awesome, right? Like, these guys are incredible people. Like, they're kind of my friend idols, you know? Like, I want to be a friend the way that these guys are a friend. Because they did whatever it took. They were willing to do whatever it took to help their buddy. It wasn't about them being inconvenienced, right? Carrying their friend's mat didn't scare them. Carrying the burdens that their friend's mat symbolized didn't deter them. It didn't push them away. It was about them getting their friend, who they loved, who was having a hard time, healed. Right? And they were willing to do whatever it took. I think, man, I want to be that way. Like, I want to be that kind of friend to people. Where I'm not so much concerned about me. And my friend's weaknesses don't scare me. But I want to help them. I want to carry their mat. That's the second thing. Just jumps off the page to me. Third thing. We all have a mat. You know what I mean by that? Like, we, we all have a mat or multiple mats in our lives. We all have things about us that are embarrassing or shameful or ugly or painful or weaknesses, right? We each do. I love that this paralyzed guy had enough courage to allow other people to help him with this mat. His mat was very obvious, right? But I love how he allowed other people to help him with his mat. And it makes me think, do I do that enough? Like, do I, do I allow other people to see the mats, the weaknesses, the burdens in my life? And we wouldn't do it broadly. I wouldn't stand on a stage and do it. But, like, the people that I love, the people that love me, do they know? Like, do I open my life up to them? And am I, am I allowing them to carry my mats? Right? We all have mats. What's your mat? Like, think about your life. Look at those weaknesses, those embarrassing things, those shameful things. Do other people know about them? There's incredible healing that comes when you allow other people in, right? Are other people helping you carry them? That's the third thing. Jumps off the page to me. Fourth thing, last thing. I think it's the most amazing thing that the reason that this guy ultimately gets healed is because of his friend's faith. Like, that, that blows my mind. Again, we don't know what the scenario is like for these guys to get their buddy there, you know. I got to imagine he was reluctant at first. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want you guys to have to do that. Just just forget it. I'll stay at home where I'm safe and miserable, right? But when this guy was weak, when he was too weak to do it on his own, his friends saved him. You Think about it that way. Like, he's... His friends really were the guys that saved him. Why? Because they picked him up and they brought him to the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus took it from there, right? Jesus did the things that only Jesus can do. And he healed him. And he showed him compassion and grace. It's an incredible story, right? This is is an incredible story. I want friends like that in my life. Life's a lot easier when you get friends like that. And I want to be a friend like that to other people. Don't you? Don't you want that? I was, I was reading an article this week by a guy named Johan Hari. It was really interesting. He did a TED Talk on this as well. But he, he wrote a book recently called Chasing the Scream. And what he's doing is he's looking at basically drugs and addiction and how that, that works and sort of the physiological effects, but, but broader than that, okay? And so what he did was he looked at this study done on rats. A rat study done in the early 20th century. And uh, what, basically what happened is you had a rat. They took a rat and they put this rat in a cage, okay, by itself. And in the cage were two bottles of water. One bottle was just regular water. The other bottle was water and hardcore drugs, okay? This is, this is what you do with rats, I guess. This is how experimenting with rats works. So you got a rat in a cage by itself with water and water mixed with hardcore drugs. And they just see what happens, right? So almost every time, this is interesting, almost every time they did this experiment, the rat very quickly became obsessed with the drug water and went back to it over and over and over again, neglecting the other water until eventually it killed itself. Almost every time, like almost every rat that's how it worked, right? And so the, the conclusion that they came to, bam, drugs are a bad thing. They're addictive killers. They have this physiological effect on your body. You start taking them, and then you start taking them more, and then you begin to need them, and then you can't stop taking them. You go through withdrawal. That's where the war on drugs campaign came from, right? Okay, Early 20th century. Then he looked at this other study done in the 70s by a psych professor in Vancouver. This guy noticed that in all of these experiments, the rats were always alone in the cage. And so he thought, and the cage was really sparse, there wasn't much going on in it besides the water. And so he said, what if we did this experiment a little bit differently and we put other rats in there with that one rat, and then we made his cage like rat paradise? like a rat amusement park, right? He actually called it Rat Park. And so he put like these little balls that the rats could play with, these colorful balls and uh, a bunch of food in there and these tunnels that these rats could run through, right? There was a bunch of other rats to play with. And what they did, they also put obviously the two bottles of water in there, regular water, drug water. And what happened was incredible. It was incredible. The rats still tried the drug water. They didn't know the difference at first, right? So they still tried the drug water, but very quickly they stayed away from it. In fact, they shunned it. It said that the rats with friends and a good environment used less than a fourth of the the drugs that the rats used that were isolated. Less than a fourth. And none of them died. Isn't that interesting? So the conclusion of the article is that the problem wasn't so much uh, addiction. We tend to blame addiction. It has this physiological effect where we have to go back to it. The conclusion of the article is that maybe it's not so much addiction. Maybe the problem is bonding. This is, this is a quote from the article. It said, we should stop talking about addiction altogether and instead call it bonding. A heroin addict has bonded with heroin because she couldn't bond with as fully with anything else. So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, hear this, it is human connection. That's so interesting, isn't it? Now, I'm not sure that it's that simple. I think there's a lot of complexity to this, there's a lot of nuance to this. But his point is well taken. He goes on, chew on that for a second. He goes on, he brings out some implications for us then in our lives and our need for relational bonding. So he talks about a crisis. If there's a crisis in your life, he says, it's not your Twitter followers, it's not your, your Facebook friends that come to help you in your crisis. It's real flesh and blood people, right? Real people that you have deep relationships that come to help you work through the problems, the crisis that you're having. He looked at this other study that showed that the number of close friends that we have that, that are available to us in a time of crisis has steadily declined since the 1950s. The average number of friends that any of us have that we could call on the phone in a time of a crisis has just steadily been declining since the 1950s. And he said, during that same time, the square footage in the average home has increased. And so he said this, this is interesting, he said, we've traded floor space for friends. We've traded stuff for connections And the result is that we are one of the loneliest societies that there has ever been. And then we turn to unhealthy things, right? Talking about the power of human connection and how much we need it. You know what it makes me think about? It makes me think about our paralyzed friend in the story. His whole life was crisis. Where would that guy have been without these four friends? You know what else it makes me think of? It makes me think about how the Bible talks over and over and over again about how vital, this vital need that you and I have for relationships. You know what else it makes me think of? Like all of the different one another's in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about with that? Like in many, many times the Bible say things like, love one another, care for one another, serve one another, right? He, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on, Toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what else it makes me think of? It makes me think of what the Bible says about you and I being made in the very image of God. You ever see that? Genesis one twenty seven. You and I, human beings, are made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation is said to be made in the image of God. You and I are. What does that mean? Well, who is God? God is one God, right? God is one. But God has eternally existed as three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How that all works, I don't know. But there's one God who exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In tri-unity, right? That's where we get the word Trinity. God exists in tri-unity. Listen, think about this. God has eternally existed in perfect relationship With himself. Like, that's who God is. God exists in relationship. God is a relational God. It's what he desires from us, it's what he offers from us, to us, right? And you and I are made in the image of God. So, what does that mean for us? We're made to be in relationships, right? Like, you and I have relational needs that no other animal, no other life form in all of creation has. We need it. We're wired that way. God, that's exactly how God made us. Other animals don't experience that, right? Like you don't have a bunch of cows sitting together, chewing the cud, talking about their feelings, right? Hey, Bob. (laughs) Feeling a little down today. Just feel like there's more in life than just this little patch of grass. You ever feel that? Like that doesn't happen, Right? Like monkeys don't get in a fight and then meet up later and work through their issues and be like, you know, Maurice, I just feel like we're drifting apart. <laughs> it's been so long since you sat behind me and picked bugs out of my head and ate them. It's been so long, right? Like that, That's ridiculous. Animals don't do that, but human beings do. Not the bug part. But human beings do, right? Like we have this incredible relational need just like The God whose image that we're created in is a relational God. He made us that way. We're not just like any other pack animal. Unlike any other animal, you and I have this innate desire, this innate need to know other people deeply and to be known deeply. I really believe this. I don't think that you and I could live our lives here on this earth the way that God wants us to live, walking with him alone. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible for us to do that. So, so God made us to have relationships with other people. You and I need relationships in order to be healthy, in order to be fulfilled. So how do we make it a habit? How do I make fellowship Christian fellowship, biblical community, doing life together. How do I make this a habit in my life? Well, I really agree with something that that guy that I referenced earlier, John Ortberg, said in that book that I was talking about. He said this, and I really agree with this. He says, people rarely drift into deep community. I think that's true. I think it's very seldom that it just sort of happens by chance, by happenstance, right? What it does is it takes intentionality from us to be a part of deep community. And 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 can we all just admit, like right now, let's just get this out of the way. Can we all just admit that we're all too busy for it? I'm too busy, you're too busy, we're all too busy for it, right? But can we also admit that what God expects from us and what God desires from us, he gives us enough time to do. It, it may need, mean that we need to to reorganize our lives a little bit, it may mean that we need to reprioritize our lives a little bit. But really, we all have the time to do the things that are most important to us, right? Like if it's high priority, we make time for that. And and can we also all just admit that none of us is strong enough to follow Jesus on this earth alone? None of us is. Guys, we're terrible at this. Terrible at this. I'm strong. I don't need other people. No, you're not. you're not. You're just fooling yourself or you're trying to fool yourself. You show me a man or woman who's strong enough to follow Jesus alone in this world, and I will show you a man or woman who's struggling in their walk with God. I promise you. And I'll show you a man or woman who's not becoming all that God wants them to be. Listen, this 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 is so important. Being strong is not being independent strong. I could do it on my own. It's not strength. Being strong is not being independent. It's having the courage to let other people see the mats in your life, right? It's having the courage to allow other people to see the weaknesses in your life and having the humility to allow other people to help you carry those mats, to carry those weaknesses. That's strength. It's not being able to do it all on our own. Guys, we need this. Like, we need community. We need other people. It's how God made us. So, so how do I make it a habit in my life? Well, listen, I thought a lot about this this week. At some point, I think we have to just trust that this is what God wants from us, right? Like, I trust you, God, that this is what you want from me. I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to pursue it. Like, at some point, we got to say that. I, try, I, I, read, I read this, it seems like being in relationship and deep community is a big deal to you. I'm going to trust you in that, that, that's the way that you wired us to live, and now I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to pursue it, even when it might feel uncomfortable to me. And sometimes it does, right? Like when, we, when we open up our lives to other people, and we kind of expose some of the ugliness in our life, that could be really uncomfortable, or when other people do this to us and we see some of the dirt going on in their lives, it could be uncomfortable. But we say, God, I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to pursue it even if it's uncomfortable. I'm going to pursue it even when I get hurt. And, and guys, it's just reality. When we do this, when we open up our lives to other people, you get hurt. I'll bet everybody in this room has been hurt at one time or another in probably a pretty significant way. ...by somebody that you've opened up your life to. It, it's part of it. It's an ugly part of it. It's the result of living in a world that's fallen. Right? that has got sin in it. The good news is that God will walk with us... ...through whatever hurt, whatever pain that we're experiencing. But there's going to be hurt. And we say, I commit to you, I'll pursue this... ...even when I get hurt. I'll commit to you that I'll pursue this... ...even when it's hard for me to click with people. Even when I struggle to find like the right group of people. Like We don't all click with everybody, Right? It's okay to admit that. Sometimes it takes a little time. I love how Clark said, he's talking about life groups, check, checking out a life group. He said sometimes it takes two or three different groups to go to before you find the one that's the right fit for you, right? That's fine. That's reality. We commit to God that even when it's tough, we're still going to pursue it. At some point, we got to take a step out. we got to take a risk, take a step out into the unknown, acknowledging that there's never a good time for it, Maybe understanding that we may need to reprioritize, reorganize our schedules a little bit to make it part of the natural rhythm of our life, but we do it. We commit to God that we're going to do it his way, right? And we know what doing things God's way leads to, right? Remember the Galatians 6 passage? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, a.k.a. doing things God's way, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Guys, as as your pastors, and I realize I'm not your pastor, but uh, as pastors, part of our responsibility to God is to help the people that we love, the people that we serve, live the things that God tells us to live in our lives. And so part of every campus of Grace Church is biblical community. Like we work really hard. I love what Clark said that like this is 50% of the experience, right? We work really hard to create groups that, that kind of facilitate this process, help facilitate this process of getting relationships with other people, and so you got life groups, lots of different life groups here. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take a risk. Like I, I'm sure many of you are in groups. Many of you are in deep community. But I also promise you that many of you probably aren't. And you want to be. Maybe you're scared. And it's a big step. But I man, we want to do everything we can to help. As your pastors, you take that step into community. And so there's lots of different ways you could do it. You got that little connect card in your program. You can fill that out and mark it, drop it in the basket, right? They'll follow up with you. You could go online. You can see all the different groups. You could call into the church. In your program, you got a little insert there with all of the different life groups that are there. I really challenge you. It's scary. I get it. Talk to God. Ask him to impress on your heart how important it is to him. And then ask him, once he's done that, and he will, ask him for the courage to be able to step out and be a part of a community and open up your life to others and allow others to open up their lives to you. Father, we desperately love you, God. Father, I think about how many times I have failed you, how I've known the right thing to do. I've known what you desired and I've not done it. Maybe out of selfishness or whatever reason. And you don't turn away from us, God. You make us to be in relationship with you. You desire it. It blows my mind to think about that. You're a God, this incredible transcendent God who also wants his creation to know him and have a relationship with him. It's so humbling. You made us to have relationships with each other too, with the body, with your body. So I pray, God, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to step out and make a commitment to you that we will pursue this in our lives. We need your help, God. We thank you that you always offer it to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for loving us in your name. Amen.